Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day in a still rather deserted city of Westminster in these current times of COVID, when there isn't a protest outside, that is, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on today's programme by Darren Smith. Darren is the founder and chief meaning officer at Making Business Matter Limited, the soft skills training provider to the UK grocery industry, headquarters in Oxfordshire. Darren, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for joining us. Thanks a lot, Scott. Good to meet you. And particularly as it's Friday. Hurrah. Likewise, uh, Darren, uh, for the benefit of those listening in, we are recording this on the uh, the 5th of June 2020, so it is a Friday and I think we're both very much looking forward to the weekend, aren't we? Now, um, we certainly are. We are, for sure. Um, now, Darren, the purpose of this discussion is to really establish your take on leadership as a whole. So first and foremost, if we just look at that word leader in isolation, what does that word actually mean to you and how does it resonate? Yeah, well, let me give you maybe a strange answer. I'll start with what it doesn't mean to me. So I've got a friend at the moment who is a teacher in a preschool, and the person who's leading that business, which is a preschool, seems to be changing their mind on a daily basis, partly because they're given excuses like we've had this 40-page government document, which means this, which means that. And so what we're finding is my friend just feels all over the place. So they're not seeing that person as a leader. They're seeing it as someone who's just causing more problems. So that would be the negative. In the positive, I'd say a leader is someone who is a bit like when I go to my dad for expertise. I look for that expertise. I look for that knowledge. I look for someone who is confident and knows what's going on. I think that last point was incredibly interesting that you mentioned uh, your father there, Darren, because it just goes to show there that some of the most influential leaders out there can be the people closest to us, can't they? They can be parents, they can be people who we look to as mentors. And there's a lot to be said for that, because I think when leadership sometimes is associated quite clearly with being in the public eye, with politics, with celebrity, and sometimes recognition for those everyday leaders in a way, it can sometimes fall by the wayside a little bit in comparison, can't it? Well, they certainly can. And for me, leadership is quite close to coaching, as in, you know, we're in the soft skills world. And I recently wrote an article that, you know, the person who's coached me most in the last 25 years of business is not the coaches I've appointed, although they've been very good, but it's been my wife. It's been that person where I've gone in on a Friday night, put my head on the table, and she's just asked me a few questions. And it's only recently, 25 years later, I've realised she's brilliant at coaching. That's um, absolutely fantastic. And you do find that, don't you? I mean, sometimes through life, um, you're not necessarily born with a certain set of skills. Um, You just realise that you are good at something and you become essentially a leader within that field. That's an interesting idea, isn't it, as well, Darren, actually? I think we should touch on that. The idea of leaders being born. Do you think that leaders are born or do you think that leaders can essentially be made or developed? Oh, I'm going to give you a rubbish answer. I'm going to say it's both because I've seen people who are natural leaders. When I worked at Sainsbury's head office, there was a natural leader that I wanted to emulate. The sort of guy who got up and stood in front of 50 people and could speak very well about what was going on. Not particularly big words, not particularly fancy, but he just seemed to resonate with the what we call the engine room buyers at that time. They got what he meant. And in those times of trouble, as things we've had many years ago, we've looked to someone who just helped us understand how we were going to navigate through it. 
And he was perfect for doing that. So I think he was a natural-born leader. I also think that I see some people who have been rubbish at what they do but have learned. And they might not quite have achieved his level, but they're really good. So I'm going to say both. And that example there did also something very interesting as well, in the sense that he was just there to offer a little bit of direction when needed, as opposed to being somebody constantly looking over the shoulder, as it were. And I think that form of leadership is also, there's a great deal of merit in it, isn't there? Just allowing people to essentially take some leadership for themselves, be independent, venture out of their comfort zone a little bit, but then just be there to provide a little bit of direction when needed. Um, And allowing people that freedom to try things for themselves and maybe make a mistake or two and learn from that. That's another really important uh, development developmental experience isn't it it really is it really is i remember um the, one of the times we went through was when everyone had to reapply for their jobs there's many people being called for it and we had a, a notice out that said we had to all reapply for our jobs and he said okay everyone up we all stood around in a big circle of 30 50 people whatever it was and uh, he said this is what it means to me i know it's scary and he just reassured us he felt like he was sharing some experience of he's been here before and he sort of said it's going to be okay. Now, this is how we'll navigate it through. I'm a person you can come and talk to, but equally we've got each other. This is what you should be feeling and it's all right. I love that. Absolutely love that. And one thing that's really important when it comes to leadership as well, Darren, of course, is trust. And in the Parliamentary Review article, Indispensable Guide to Best Practice, of course, that you were put together, um, you talk about trust quite a lot in that. And um, you talk about the importance of reliability, credibility, amongst other things. Um, so when it comes to leadership, trust is integral, isn't it? Trusting your employees, but also them trusting you um, in reverse as well. It absolutely is. I think I came across the trust model probably about six years ago in the job that we do, as in training people. And I couldn't believe that something so foggy actually had a very simple four-part equation. And once I began to understand that equation and those four parts, I could put people in my left hand that I didn't trust and realize why, and people in my right hand that I did trust and realize why. And it became a real foundation for me for every relationship I had that I needed to be reliable, I needed to be credible. And the one I struggled with was intimacy. And I don't mean we need to hug each other, but I do mean I need to open up a bit bit more and say, my wife's girl, I've got a couple of kids, this is what we do, this is what I enjoy. And that really helped my relationships and my trust. I think it also really helps to put you on an equal footing with them um, employees as well in that sense, being accessible, being open and transparent. And that's really important to be able to then take people with you, isn't it? And I think leaders who've really taken that approach are the ones that will be reaping the benefits from their teams in the context of the here and now, because it will be their employees that are willing to go that extra mile, go above and beyond even just to keep things ticking over, even in this most challenging of times with COVID-19 as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We as leaders, we're we're asking things from our people that we shouldn't be asking, but we need to be asking because we need to get through this. And they know that and they appreciate it. And you really find out, let's put it in quotes, who your friends are at the moment, both Mm -hmm. as suppliers, business partners, employees. I mean, even for me, some of my suppliers, people or business partners have fallen by the wayside. And I don't mean because their business has gone under or or whatever, but I do mean because they are not willing to go the extra mile that we need. Um, And I'm finding that with people around us. You really figure out who's willing to help you survive this and who isn't. And that's a good thing, because we need to be tested at times. And we're finding out that 
maybe those people we intuitively knew aren't right has been magnified and they're really not right to work with us. And we mentioned some of the sort of inspirations or influences, um, if you'd like, um, on yourself um, earlier on, people who you look to for advice, like um, your father as well. But have you been able to take inspiration as well from the way that your staff have reacted during this time and their attitude to meeting this uh, current uh, situation? Yeah, I have. I, I really have. And I've got a, a very small story to share where I was, uh, let's say I had a conference call uh, with my team Um and it was, I think it was a Monday afternoon. So I've had this conference call and, and we were in the deep middle of COVID and I wasn't sure what to say. And, and to be honest, I was fumbling as a leader. And this guy stepped up in this conference call and he said, Darren, it's okay if you need to ask for more. <laughs> and I almost cried. And I said, guys, I need to ask for more. And he said, it's okay. And I asked for more, whether it was hours or extra work or whatever it was. And they all just stepped up and did it. Um, so sometimes <laughs> we're not all leaders and other people step up and be the leader for you, which is wonderful. And I think um, it's important to have a team that you can rely on to uh, to do that as well, because as leaders, we're not infallible, are we? We, of course, do have our limitations. And I think this period has really sort of brought that into uh, the light, really, because um, it's brought a lot of pressure on leaders to not just be able to lead from a distance and keep the communication channels open, but also provide vital reassurance where, amid all the uncertainty, there isn't really that much more information that you might know than those around you. And that's difficult in itself. It's also difficult trying to, of course, ask for more from other people. But because of the way that leaders have conducted themselves prior to this, um, a lot of teams are really willing to go that extra mile. And we have heard some fantastic stories, haven't we, of people really doing that just to keep things ticking over, as we've already said, not just on the front line, but also in business as well. And it's also forced the hand of business to adapt. So as well as bringing it closer together, there are some positives to take from this quite tragic time as well in that sense, I think, aren't there? There are. I mean, it's it's forcing us to work in different ways. And partly we should have been doing some of that anyway. So that's great. Um, and what I'm also finding is that there are there's levels. If you imagine the RAF bullseye, their, their symbol of the, the red, the white, and then the blue, I guess I mentally put some of my team into each of those rings. And I've done it because I think it's right for them. So let's say that the red bullseye in the middle, there are a few people around me. I said, look, this is where we are. It could be a bit tricky at times. So I've really opened up to them. Whereas I've done a little bit less of that as we've moved out towards the edges of those bullseye, because those people don't need to see from a distance a real lack of confidence in me for the future, for instance, at certain times. And if we do continue to think about the future just for a moment, Darren, before we do wrap things up on the other uh, programme today, um, do give me an idea of what you envision the next 12 to 18 months holds for yourself and for making business matter and what you hope to achieve as we hopefully move through the COVID-19 pandemic and emerge from the other side and then also really begin to look to the long-term future. Yeah, I, it's a good point. I think we're going to remain absolutely true to the let's call it a mission that we came up with 10 years ago. And that was that we are going to continue not to offer one-day training courses because they do not work. There are next to no people who come back from a one-day training course and make any change to behavior. So we're going to absolutely stick to our guns, which is sticky learning, which is all about space repetition. If you remember how you learned to drive, you did 20 to 30 driving lessons one a week. That's how training should be done. That's what we're going to stick to. And we're going to believe that people are going to get to a point where they realize 
less brain money down the drain on training. So we're going to stick to our guns and do what we were doing before, but even better. And that resilience, that persistence, I think that's just testament to how a business is really sticking to its guns and looking to even adapt where it needs to and just keep ploughing on because that's really the sort of spirit that we need um, in these most uncertain of times for sure. Um, Darren, got to say, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the uh, the programme today. It's a shame we don't have more time actually because it's a topic we could discuss all morning, I'm sure. Um, but it's been an incredibly informative experience. And you know what I think? I think from a listener's perspective, it would actually be fantastic to in the next year, once we start to understand what sort of new normal we're going into, we could even catch up and have you back on the programme just to discuss that and discuss how making business matter is getting on and some of the initiatives you're involved in. We'd absolutely love that. We're uh, we're just launching something called e-assessments, where you can get you can go online and in ten minutes assess any soft skill in an interactive and engaging way. So uh, I'd love to share that with you next time. I think that would be really fascinating. Um, Darren, thank you ever so much for taking the time to uh, join us today. And most importantly, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on, because as we all well know, we're not quite out of the woods with this yet. We're not. Not yet. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. That was Darren Smith speaking, the founder and chief meaning officer at Making Business Matter. Uh, Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition, after his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff, and that's coming up next. Uh, We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on today. uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex, first team, when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, yeah. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him, and has 
been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over fifty years. I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that caliber, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alfred Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time at, 
maybe overly strict but at times you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second, I think... Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed professional uh, 
top quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we have some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." So that—I've uh, been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, to just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but no, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well, so it did... Uh, um, and again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really 
struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke. And, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly um, yeah and and with that looking at um, uh, football today uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader um well a, a player current players you mean oh players managers anybody that uh, you look to today really well i think some of the outstanding i think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is 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 uh, Klopp at liverpool mm. he has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently, since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was yeah. Well, the, the answer, is straightforward answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking. Um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it 
that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially. And that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. They, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the... Um, Getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time, and I wouldn't. And when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. It- we had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team, the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, if looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and single mind and dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation, and I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, 
Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.